I don't know why I always have to come up after Joyce and Rob do a number. I mean, it's like we should end church right now. Amen? Amen. I hope you're excited to be here this weekend, especially it being Palm Sunday. I wanted to tell you a little bit of a funny story, but I'm just going to embarrass myself. I have no clue how to make those little palm crosses. And so I found some on Amazon a few months ago. And so for the last church that we served at, we bought like 5,000 of them. So no one ever has to learn how to make a palm cross again. You know what I found out about this season that's interesting? Is that we really have religiousized something that should be evident in our life all the time. We get really spiritual around Palm Sunday and Easter, don't we? It's the time where CEOs come to church, you know, the Christmas and Easter only people. That's when they finally come during Easter because they think it's this, this religious thing. And what I, what I want to share with you this morning is, is that miracles and God doing something in your life isn't supposed to be something that just happens on certain times. God has been performing miracles every day in your life. Do you know how many things God has stopped from happening in your life? Do you know how many things God has done in your life in order to bring glory to himself? Because that's the point of miracles. Sometimes we think miracles are for us to have this great story so that when someone comes up and asks you to give a testimony, you have something to say. Miracles have nothing to do with you. Miracles have everything to do with showing the world who Jesus is. Miracles have everything to do with showing the world to give God glory and to realize that you had nothing to do with it. That is literally the definition of a miracle. Something that you didn't do, but something that God did to bring glory to himself and to show that what he was saying is true. And so as we get towards, in the biblical order of what actually happened, that what we call the Holy Week, the week where it ends with the passion of Jesus, with him dying for our sins, and then ending on the day that, that he rose again from the day, the first day of the week, a lot of interesting things happen. And we're going to focus today on Luke chapter 19, because Luke chapter 19 gives a very good description of what happens when Jesus finally enters Jerusalem. But what we sometimes forget is that there are some things that happened before Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Some of the, and for those of us who grew up in church, two of the greatest Sunday school stories ever happened right before the triumphal entry. But for us who may just be getting into the word of God, these are some tremendous stories. The first story in Luke 19, beginning in verse 1, and I'll just summarize briefly, was the story of Jesus meeting, uh, meeting Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. He was this short dude who was a Jewish tax collector. And I know we don't like the IRS anyway, but like, let's make that like a thousand times how much people despised tax collectors in the first century. Because here's what the Roman government would do. They would hire people from the culture that they were living in and that they would give them this job of being tax collectors. And their job was simply to collect taxes. But the Roman government didn't pay him enough to do this job. So what the tax collectors that were allowed to do was to charge people more for collecting their taxes. And so this is how they made their money. And so as they would collect taxes, they would collect way more than they needed to. And so the tax collectors were some of the richest people in the area. But all of their money was ill-gotten. And so Zacchaeus is one of these guys. And so Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, which means not only did he get money from all the other tax collectors, he probably had an entourage of bodyguards. And when you're a short dude, you need some big, brawly people around you to make sure no one steals your money. 
So this is the guy that we're talking about. And Zacchaeus, for some reason, wanted to meet Jesus. We don't know whether it was because he just wanted to meet someone else who was famous. Maybe he was trying to get more popularity. But it looks like there was this spiritual reason that God was beginning to move in the heart of Zacchaeus. And he wanted to meet Jesus. And so he ran ahead of the crowd because at this point, wherever Jesus went, a crowd began to build. And as he went forward, he realized that he couldn't see everybody because he was that short. And so this guy, the chief tax collector, climbs up into a tree so that he can see Jesus. So think about it. The chief tax collector, somebody who is, just has tremendous amount of bank, wants to meet Jesus. Something is going on in his life. He has all of the material substance in the world, yet he wants to meet Jesus. And when he comes up into the tree, you notice that Jesus calls out to him and he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it's necessary for me to stay at your house. So here's how we know something was going on with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus didn't miss a beat and said, yes, he came straight down. And everybody around started saying something. Hey, he's, he's going to hang out with this sinful man. And Zacchaeus, as soon as he meets with the Lord, begins to repent and tells him, I've, 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 I'll give half of all my possessions to the poor. If I've extorted anything from anyone, I will pay back four times as much. See, here's what was going on in the life of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus encountered Jesus and it changed him. Just hearing about Jesus began to change him. The Bible calls this us having our soul quickened or be made alive through Jesus. The beginning of that spiritual journey begins not, not with us, but with God calling us. And through that process, he meets Jesus. And as soon as he meets the Savior, and I want you to recognize this because if you know Jesus, you know this is exactly what happened. When you met Jesus, you immediately to recognize who God was and who you were, and you realize something was not together. And so he started starts telling Jesus, hey, I will give the poor back half. Not only that, if I've extorted somebody, I'll give back four times the amount. Usually tax collectors would steal between two and three times the amount of money they were supposed to give in order to make some living. He's saying, I'm going to go beyond that. You see, repentance really changes you. Encountering Jesus really changes you to the point that you recognize, man, it's not about me, it's about him. God will supply my needs. I need to give everything back. I need to make amends and then some. And so when he does this, this is what Jesus says. Today, salvation has come to this house. Jesus told them, because he too is a son of Abraham, for the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. That last verse I just read is one of the most popular verses that you'll ever hear. What was the point of Jesus coming? To seek and to save those who were lost. Now, he didn't say it was because he gave back money. But what he saw was that there was this change. That, that Zacchaeus had this repentant attitude inside of him. And so here are the things that happened during this last week of Jesus' life on earth before he dies for our sins. There are these birth pangs, these stories of people coming to Jesus, even before the church begins to function, of people having their lives changed because they encountered Jesus. And after the story, Jesus uh, tells this parable because people were listening. They saw these things happening. And so while he was going towards Jerusalem, they thought Jesus was going to come back right away. 
as this king, as this conqueror. And so he tells them this parable about a nobleman who travels to a far country and because he has the, the authority of the king and he calls 10 servants and he, and he gives them, tells them to engage in business to come back. And so um, as he's away, the Bible says his subjects hated him and sent the delegation after him and said, we don't want this man to rule over us anymore. At his return, having received authority to be king, he summoned those servants he had given money so that they could give an account for how much they made in business. Verse 16 says they first came forward and said, Master, your mina has earned 10 more minas. And he says, well done, good, good servant. And he told them, because you have been faithful in a very small matter, pay attention to what he says, in a very small matter, have authority over 10 towns. The second came, he said, Master, your mina has made five minas. So he said to him, you'll be over five towns. Another came and said, here, Master, here's your mina. I've kept it safe in a cloth because I was afraid of you since you're a harsh man. You collect what you didn't deposit and reap what you didn't sow. He told them, I will condemn you by what you said, you evil servant. If you knew I was a harsh man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, then why then would you put money in the bank? And when I returned, I would have collected it with interest. He said to those standing there, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. But they said to him, Master, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has will be, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who did not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. Jesus always gave these feel-good stories, right? This is one of those ones like, what in the world? This, this guy is harsh. What is Jesus talking about? Right after he talks about salvation coming to someone's house, he gives this very harsh parable. And the reason why he did this was, just like miracles are supposed to tell us and bring the glory to God, Jesus tells these parables, these earthly stories with these heavenly meanings, to let the crowd know exactly what's going on inside of their heart. Those who were coming to Jesus would understand, those who weren't wouldn't get the message. And sometimes he would have to throw this punch at them for them to realize exactly what he was saying. And so he's addressing these Pharisees who don't like what he's doing. They see miracles. They see God working. But they don't like the fact that Jesus is getting more clout than they have. And so the story that he tells them is that basically the reason why this one servant, it wasn't, it wasn't so much that he was lazy or that he didn't want to invest the money in order to make more. If you read between the lines what it says, it says that they did not want him to rule over them. So this one didn't do it because he didn't want to listen. And he even prejudges the, the, the one who's going to be, have the authority to be king. And he basically says, I know you're a harsh man and I didn't want to get in trouble. And you did stuff that you shouldn't be doing and you reap money that you didn't reap. You didn't do this. Why should I help you? The master comes back and he tries to be more conciliatory about it. But the master goes, no, you didn't do this. Kill everyone who didn't want me to be king. See, whether we want to recognize it or not, Jesus is king. Our ideas, our talents, everything comes from God. And if we don't realize that, this is where we miss seeing miracles happen. This is where we miss the boat on what God is trying to do. Zacchaeus saw it. These Pharisees didn't. 
And I love these stories that the Bible tells us because we see that someone who everyone hates, the chief tax collector, because how he was doing people dirty, how they come to Jesus, but the religious ones, the religious ones who should know these things, they're the ones that miss the boat. It's important for us as believers in Jesus Christ that you and I value the relationship that we have with Jesus over the religious statutes that we think means honoring Jesus. We don't go to church because we have to. We should be assembled with God's people so that we can learn more about Jesus together and be with God's people. You don't give because God says to. You give because you want to. And by the way, God tells you to. It's all the way that we approach things. So now, we get to the story that we hear most about on on Palm Sunday. Verse 28 of Luke 19 says this. When he said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Verse 29 says, He approached Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives. He sent two disciples and said, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. You untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a situation where either you or your spouse or your mom and dad tell you, hey, go ask somebody for that. And you go, I I don't want to do that. My wife and I do this all the time. We have to ask a question or something was was done not right, maybe at a restaurant with a bill. And so I tell my wife, you go tell her. You go tell her. I don't want to tell her. But we got to get this bill right. I know. So go tell her. And I don't know how many times we've like, had a bill wrong around like $10 or so that we let the $10 go because we didn't want to say anything. My dad used to do this to me all the time. We'd be in a hardware store, and I know nothing about hardware, and he's asking me to go get certain screws and ask the guy for help. And I'm like, I have no clue what we're talking about. Just go ask. Go do it. Don't you love when people go tell you to do something? Now imagine the king of kings and the lord of lords tells you, Go take the donkey that doesn't belong to you, untie it, and if anybody asks you why you're doing this, just say, Jesus needs it. It'll be fine. I want to try that next week. I'm going to go to a car dealership. Going to take a... God needs it, man. Yeah, you know, God needs it. It just, on the surface, it sounds so ridiculous. So the guys, because at least they have enough faith, probably more than us us in this room, they go and uh, in verse 32 says, so those who were sent left and found it just as he told them. Pay attention to that phrase, just as he told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? The Lord needs it, they said. And verse 35, very nonchalantly says, and they bring it to Jesus. You see, here's the thing about the sovereignty, and also the will of God. If God has ordained it, it will come to pass. Whether you like it or not, whether you have a part in God's story or not, whatever God wants to happen is going to happen. And so the only thing that we have to consider is whether or not we're going to be able to proclaim the glory of God by being part of that story or not being part of the story. This is what you and I have to recognize about our relationship with Jesus. It's, doesn't, it's not just to make you feel better. It's to make you actually be better because you don't control what's happening. 
And so the crazy part is, you know, a little bit down the road, these same disciples are going to go have to ask someone to have to find an upper room that's fully furnished and set for Passover. How are they going to have enough faith to do that if they can't ask someone if they can borrow a donkey? Down the road, they're going to see their Savior be tortured and beaten and die. And he's going to rise again from the grave and he's going to tell them to go and preach the gospel. And don't go until they receive power from the Holy Spirit. Don't, tell, don't do anything until I empower you. The reason why they're able to listen to big things and to wind up some of them giving their lives because they learn to listen in small things. And they recognize that the sovereign God who's over the donkey and his owner is also over our eternal life and forgiveness of sins. These steps of faith start out small. So they bring him the donkey in verse 35, and after throwing their clothes on the colt, they help Jesus get on it. And as he was going along, they, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all of the miracles they had seen. So we know in, in Scripture, we know that this is a fulfillment of what happens in Psalm 118. That the fact that Jesus will enter the city triumphantly, and that as he comes in, people will be sh shouting what they shouted in verse 38. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. You see, why was it important for Jesus to come in on a donkey? Why was it important for this to happen just the way that it did? Because the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New Testament. Every part of the Word of God comes together. This is why we are supposed to preach and teach and learn the entire counsel of God. That everything that Jesus and, and his Father said would happen, does happen. And so even though the cult may not have been, why not a horse? Why not this? Why not that? Because the way that God wants it to happen is the way that it comes to pass. You know, there are a lot of times we try to get in the way of God and we try to tell God what we want to happen in our life. We want it to happen this way and in this timetable. And sometimes we have this list and we write it out and we want God to sign it and say, here, this is my life. And God says, no, no, no. Sign your name to a blank sheet of paper and give it to me. Because that's what it means to trust God. And so these disciples were beginning to, to learn these things. And so while this is happening, imagine this. A crowd is forming. There are disciples cheering and, and, and shouting praise to God. Jesus is riding down on a donkey. And that's, that's not his. And he's coming into Jerusalem. And so the Pharisees, here's what they think in verse 39. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him. And they literally call out to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now why? Well, the disciples were literally calling Jesus God. That this is a fulfillment of the Messiah. And the Pharisees wanted no part of that. You're, you're not God. Tell them to stop. And here's what Jesus tells them. I tell you, if they're quiet, the stones will cry out. You see, this is the point as we've seen these birth pangs, as, as we're getting closer to, to this time where Jesus Christ will, will, will uh, die for our sins, we see people still coming to the Messiah. But now we see Jesus getting a little bit more brazen to tell them, this is who I am. This is what will happen. 
And those who believe understand, those that don't, either don't understand, and some of them actually get upset. When we look at the barometer of our faith, can we describe it as someone who recognizes the sovereignty and the authority of God in our life moving us forward through his history in our life? Or do we see it more of us just doing what we do, for lack of a better term, religiously, because that's what we've always been taught to do? The Pharisees saw somebody going outside of that, and they completely just, hey, rebuke them, tell them to stop. The disciples recognize the beginning of something that's going to happen, and whether they fully understood it or not, because you know a lot of them, by the end of the week, will be crying something different. Whatever it was, there's a different way that we, that we view the interpretation of what God is trying to do. So Jesus, he does something. As he's approaching the city, we look at verse 41, and he, he, he cries over the city. Here's what he says. This is important. Now, we get to see, we saw the heart of the Pharisees. We see the heart of the disciples. We see the heart of the two disciples that actually went and got this donkey. We actually see the heart of the owner that let it happen. But now let's look inside the heart of Jesus. Here's what he says in verse 42. If you knew this day would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone on another in your midst. Because you did not recognize the time when who visited you? God. So his heart is grieving for what's going to happen. They wanted this religious leader. They wanted this political figure that was going to take them outside of Roman oppression realizing that the oppression that really needed to be fixed was the oppression in their heart because of sin. And because they didn't recognize God for who he actually was, he prophesied what's going to happen. We know this. Is there a temple in Jerusalem today? Is this the religious system the way it was? It's not even there. No stone will be unturned. Everything will be taken away. Enemies will build. He's prophesying about when Jerusalem will be conquered. All because they didn't recognize that God was there and why he would really come. They want peace and it's not going to happen. And you may wonder, man, why does God have to be so harsh? Why does God have to tear down a beautiful city and a beautiful building? Well, the answer to that comes in the end of the chapter. Here's what happens. He goes into the temple. In verse, 30, uh, verse 45, and he began to throw out those who were selling. And he said, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. So wh why does Jesus prophesy that this all will be destroyed? You see, what happened is that in, in the first century, and I would say even in our century, we have made such a mockery of what it means to follow biblical Christianity. We have made it about the fluff. We've made it about the, the, the stuff that you see visibly. We've made it about celebrity. We've made it about money. We've made it about everything except Jesus. 
And this temple, the way that it works was if you wanted to come in and give a sacrifice and follow the law, you'd have to pay a tax. You had to convert your money into into temple money and all these different things. And everyone that was in the temple were, were making money on people coming to worship and follow the law. And so when Jesus proclaims that Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed, it's because Jesus wants this religious system that we follow to be destroyed in order for us to finally follow Jesus as a relationship. And so he walks in there and he, and he, tear, he, he starts throwing out those who were selling. Why? Because this house is supposed to be a house of prayer, communication with God, not the transferring of money between people. And so as he tells them this, now imagine, we had Pharisees who yelled at him, teacher, tell your, tell your disciples to be quiet, and now he's throwing people outside the temple? But here's how we know that Jesus is sovereign overall. Verse 47 says, every day he was teaching where? In the temple. Not hiding in a cave, not on a Zoom call, amen, where is he? In the temple. The same place he threw people out. Jesus wasn't scared of anybody. And he did it in public. This is the great thing about biblical Christianity is always done in a transparent way. That you know exactly who you are, you know exactly who God is. And when you finally realize that when you look at God for who he is and who you are, you recognize you need to get on the same page with God. And so he teaches in the temple. So at this point, the chief priests, the scribes, the leaders of the people, they were all looking for a way to not arrest him. They want him dead. Not only did they miss the time of God visiting them, they wanted the Son of God dead. He was messing up their lifestyle. He was cramping their lifestyle. And so here's what the end of the chapter says. They wanted him dead. But they couldn't find a way to do it. Because all the people were captivated by what they heard. God is sovereign over all. Because the message that the gospel has is the only true one. It's not about religion. It's not about getting your life right. It's not about being religious. It's not about giving. It's not about following certain preachers. It's not about what it's about is recognizing that you and I, inside of ourselves, without Jesus, are sinners who don't deserve the mercy of God. And the gospel tells us that even in this lost state that we are, where nobody seeks after God, everyone has gone their own way. God sent his son to still come to this earth, to live 33 and a half years perfectly, to show us what it means to be perfect, without sin, tempted in every way like we were, and then to give himself up to die, to pay the price for the sins that you and I would not have to spend eternity separated from him, paying the price for our own sin. Jesus Christ paid that price. And so whether we want to believe the message of the gospel or not, whether we want to believe that we need to receive this free gift of salvation by accepting Jesus Christ as our Savior, if if we don't want to admit that we've done things and said things and spoke things that are wrong, if we don't want to admit that we need God to save us and forgive us of our sins, even if you don't believe that, I'm here to tell you, not only is it true, that tugging in your heart right now is because God is saying, hey, it's time to get off your own page and recognize who Jesus is. 
He's the savior who can tell somebody to go get a donkey. He's the savior that everyone will worship even though the Pharisees are right there. He's the savior who will save a short tax collector. He's the savior that actually goes into the temple and cleans it out of the people who shouldn't be there. And he's the savior in front of everyone who will continue to teach the truth because he knows it's the only thing that can save you. So with that being said, Luke chapter 19 leaves us without excuse. Either we're going to receive Jesus for who he is, and if you have received Jesus, either we're going to surrender our lives because of who he is, or we're just going to go on the way we always have. And for some of us, that's going to lead a road straight to eternal separation from God. And for some of us, we will make it to heaven because of the mercy of God, but the journey won't be as sweet as it could be if we just recognize who Jesus is and surrender everything to him. The Lord had need of that donkey. Oh, so much more, the Lord has something to do in your life as well. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. People are praying, people are doing business with God. And I just want to ask you a question. If you're here and you know Jesus, let me ask you. Has there been a time that you've recognized that maybe you're not fully surrendered to him. Yes, you've received Jesus as your savior, but looking at your life at this point, there's been some pullback. There's been some compromise that you've made. And all of a sudden, the, the, the savior who can tell disciples to get a donkey and then at the end of the chapter clean out the temple isn't getting all of the authority that he should have in your life. And something spoke to you today from the word of God that says, I need to surrender more to God because he is sovereign over all. And I need to make a decision for him today. Would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you're here today and you say, Rob, I, I still don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus. I heard the concert last night. Um, I, I, I listened to today. And the reason that I think I'm not surrendering is because I don't. I don't recognize Jesus as my Savior, and, and I still need to trust Jesus as my Savior. And I would, I would like to publicly just let you know that I need prayer because I need to receive Jesus. Would you raise your hand? I would love to pray with you. Father, thank you for this time. For those that raise their hands, Lord, I pray that you help us all to be more surrendered to the will of God. Lord, I, help, I pray that you help us to recognize that God's sovereignty over our affairs, over our timeline, over our finances, over our health. And Lord, we pray that you would allow miracles to happen in our life when we trust more in you. God, we're very thankful for what you're doing. Lord, we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Will you stand together and sing with us?